Amen, church. I invite you to take your Bible. You didn't bring one, right? We, that's what we do at North Roanoke. We study the Bible on Sunday. And uh, we do it because, well, one, God commanded it. But two, it's where we find life, right? You can go all sorts of places looking for life and not find it. And then you can go to God's Word and you can encounter Christ who is life. The goal of the Bible is not to teach you primarily how to live, but to show you that you are dead apart from Christ, and then to trust in Him and find and have true life. That's Brother Steve who is singing. Many of you may not know him, but Brother Steve has an incredible testimony about the fact that he was dead and then God inter intercepted his life and he encountered Christ and he was made alive. He was made new. And you, might, you might be like Steve this morning uh, on a path of addiction and perhaps drugs and alcohol or depression. And I would encourage you to seek out Brother Steve, Steve Stewart and say, Steve, Pastor Daniel asked me to ask you about your testimony. Just be ready to listen for a while because he'll tell you his testimony. And it's an incredible story of how God still saves people, still rescues people. We sang in that song, Hosanna, these words, hear the sound of hearts returning to you. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. I have a question for you this morning. What in the world does that sound like? I believe we get the answer in Psalm 100. Psalm 100 in a message that I've titled A Posture of Thanksgiving. And as you turn there or scroll there on your device, I, I do hope you enjoyed a great Thanksgiving meal this week. I hope you ate too much pumpkin pie. I hope you grabbed the extra roll and that whatever diet plan you're on that you threw out at least for 24 hours. If you didn't, shame on you. Do better at Christmas time. And here's why. Because God is good. And the Bible tells us that one of the primary, one of, one of the great evidences of His goodness is that we have food to eat. And it is appropriate to celebrate God's goodness with an occasional feast. The Israelites did it often. Much of their sacrificing was, was to have a good meal. And then Jesus comes in fulfillment of the promises of the sacrificial system and the the church gathered every Sunday and they partook of the Lord's Supper and following the Lord's Supper, though it's not in the Bible that this is true, we know it from historical evidence that the early church celebrated what they called a love feast. They did it every Sunday, every Lord's Day. They got together and had a potluck meal. It may not be biblical, but it's, it's nearly biblical. It's almost in, it's in church tradition. So every week they got together and they, they ate as, as the overflow of their thankfulness for being the people of God. One of the primary things that distinguishes us as a church, as a people, is that we're thankful and we know why. Genuine thankfulness marks off the people of God from the people of the world. Did you know that, church? Real thankfulness sets us apart from the world. Because as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him or give Him thanks. But they became futile, useless, worthless, and their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
But praise God, it's not going to be this way forever. Psalm 100 tells us of a day when God will receive thanksgiving from all the people in all the world. He will get the thanks that he is due. And it's a thanks that we should give him now. Let's read about that thanks in Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Now many of your translations might say, and we are His. But the earliest available manuscripts of the Hebrew text that we have read, and not we ourselves. Now some scribes, uh, I think, thought it would be a good idea to make a quick little change. They thought whoever, whatever copy they had must have, must have been wrong. And so they, they changed it to we are His, which, which has a similar meaning. But I do believe the text in its original form says it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. It's completely the work of God. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to his name. Excuse me. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. You are faithful and your mercy, your covenant faithfulness toward us in Christ is unfailing. And we, we thank you, God, that, that no matter how we entered this morning, no matter how dark and desperate our lives may be, that if we will turn to Christ, that there is, there is the love of God. There's the faithfulness of God. There's the redemption and the healing and the victory of God available for us this day. God, for the, for the wayward soul, I pray that that we would, in a moment, hear the sound of their heart returning to you in thanksgiving. For the, for the lost soul, God, that we would hear the sound of them turning to you and repenting of their sin and finding your victory through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. This psalm announces in its title that it, it is a psalm for thanksgiving. A psalm for thanksgiving. In the psalms, there are, there are titles that are actually a part of the psalm. A lot of times in your Bible, the editor has decided what that section is about, and he'll give you a title. That's not in the Bible. It's just some editor helping you read the Bible. But in the Psalms, these, these titles are, are actually a part of the Scripture. So it's a psalm for Thanksgiving. In other words, God, God intends for us to be a thankful people. Indeed, it's not just for Thanksgiving, but for the thank offering that we give uh, of our, our tithes and our offerings and, our, and back then of, of goat, goats and bulls and lambs and pigeons. And you know, I wonder sometimes why when we give the offering in church, why we don't just have a good shout. Because Jesus says, that the word of God says that, that we come in thankfulness. What does verse 1 say? Shout joyfully to the Lord. I, I get to give something back to God. I get to be a part of His kingdom. He rescued me and saved me and adopted me and made me a part of His family. And I get to get in on that. Shout to the Lord. I wish we would conclude our offerings with a shout. Thankfulness is something that God desires from our lives. And yet we struggle to be thankful, don't we? You see, we're still wrestling against our flesh. And in our flesh, we often default to the old attitudes of complaining about what we don't have. You say, well, that's not my old attitude. Do you have kids? I mean, it doesn't take kids one week after Christmas to tell you about the toy they didn't get for Christmas. 
complaining what we don't have or what somebody said about us or comparing ourselves to others and feeling like we're inferior to them. Well, their kids are perfect and mine aren't. Or they've been walking with Christ for more years or they're a Sunday school teacher and I'm not. And we always play the comparison game and the complaining game. Ingratitude can infect our lives so quickly, can it? And ingratitude comes from two places. It comes from either thinking that we deserve more than we have or from thinking that what we already have is a credit to us and not to God. Ingratitude infects our lives, church. It saps us of our joy as we look more to ourselves and less to God. But Psalm 100, and particularly verse 3, can help us identify our prideful ingratitude. And God can help us as we let the word penetrate our hearts, conquer it. As God leads us to confess our sin of ingratitude and realign ourselves with His plan for producing thankfulness that flows from the core of our being, from our hearts. So I want to talk to you for a moment about a, a posture of thanksgiving. When you play golf, you've got to have the right alignment, the right posture to be able to help hit the ball well. Which is why I don't play golf very well. But fortunately, this psalm is not about getting your alignment right in golf. It's getting your heart aligned and attuned to thanksgiving so that we can worship God well. To offer God the thanksgiving that He is due from our lives, church. There's three things we find in this psalm. First, we must delight in His victory and stay focused on the good end. Second, we must have a right perspective on God and ourselves. Thirdly, we must enter His presence and give Him thanks for who He is. First, we, we must delight in His victory and stay focused on the end. When Moses addresses the Israelites in Deuteronomy, he says you're going to go into the promised land and if you obey, there's going to be great blessing. But if you disobey, and you will, there's going to be curses. Under those curses, Moses says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy... And a glad heart, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Many of you, you, you remember the time, if you grew up in church, when you had offering envelopes with check boxes on them. Did I bring my Bible? Did I read it every day? Did I make contacts this week? Did I read my Sunday school quarterly? Did I do everything just right? And you, you, could, you could be faithful to check the boxes and still have a heart that was far from God. God's not looking for a bunch of box checkers. He's looking for people who will follow Him, not just on the outside, but from a heart that's been changed on the inside. Time and again, Israel did indeed serve her enemies because she failed to take delight in God. Oh, they went to the temple. Oh, they offered the sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God's. But it would not always be this way. In verse 1 of Psalm 100 the psalmist sees a day when the entire planet is engaged in joyful devotion to God. Can you see that day? Can you look forward to that day when people of every tribe and tongue and language and nation confess that God is their God because Christ was slain for them and they've been redeemed by His blood? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. The psalmist sees a day when the world is full of worshipers who've been rescued from their self-absorbed and joyless thanklessness. Matthew Henry says it this way, this song of praise is a prophecy, and it should be considered a prophecy even as a prayer for the coming of the time when all people will know that the Lord is God and shall become His worshipers. 
Church, one way to battle the ingratitude that we face in the present is to remember that the best is yet to come. This day does not define the days that are yet to come. Your worst day is nothing compared to the best day that awaits when we stand with every tribe and tongue and language and nation and confess that He is our God and He has saved us. On your bad days, don't forget about the good end. But this song is not just about the good end. It is also about the people who know the goodness of knowing God now. That's us, church. Well, we should be a preview of coming attractions. We should be the place where the thankfulness that will characterize the end characterizes us today. And one of the best ways for us to be a people characterized by joyful thankfulness is to be ever mindful of the truth that God is winning the peoples of the world through the faithful testimony of a church in a world that constantly tells us to look away from God and just look to ourselves. But because of what Christ has done in our hearts, we do not have to serve our sinful desires to be noticed or appreciated or to have more. Rather, we can and indeed we must. These are commands, not suggestions in Psalm 100. We can serve the Lord. We can come to the Lord. And we can shout a ringing cry of joy to the Lord. God is seeking more than a declaration of our gratitude, isn't he? Hi, my name's Daniel and I'm thankful. Just thought I'd like to tell you. Real subdued and quiet. No, no, no. Do you, do you see boredom in Psalm 100? Shout to the Lord on the earth! My name is Daniel and I was a desperate, wicked, heartless, ungrateful sinner. And God changed me. God is looking... For a gratitude that is accompanied by genuine joy and gladness. The Lord's not just seeking right behavior, but a right heart. How in the world is this possible? The words shout and gladness and joyful. As I was researching this psalm, I discovered something amazing. Guess when Israel was shouting? Guess when they were singing and joyful and glad? Guess where you find these words? It's always when they're conquering an enemy. It's always when God gives them a victory that was unexpected, that was improbable, that they could have never gotten on their own. And suddenly God vanquishes their enemy and they shout and they sing. It's like me on Friday night. I was in a restaurant with my family in Pigeon Forge and I was trying to be engaged with my family, but there was a little game on. And so I was listening over my phone and, and the team that I didn't want to win was driving and they got 11 yards on first down and I knew it was over. And then the next play... Improbably, impossibly, suddenly, the team that I wanted to win had won. And so I politely excused myself from the restaurant. <laughs> waiting for there to be a yellow flag that was thrown on the field that was going to give it to the other wretched team. And I, I didn't hear any flags. And I went outside and I shouted for joy. Now, church, that, that's a true story, by the way. <laughs> if, if, if that's true of my life, some of you might say, well, I'm not the shouting type. That's fine. I'm not the football type. That's fine. But when you really understand deep down in your soul 
who you were and who you are apart from Christ, it'll make the non-shouters shout. If that doesn't get you up off your feet and out of door to say, thank you, Jesus, bless your holy name, then check your heart this morning. Thanksgiving comes from the unbelievable victory that we've secured in Christ. When God comes as your substitute in the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and changes you from the inside out and He replaces the death-bringing power of sin in your life with His life-giving presence and His assurance that you are saved, that brings joy and gladness, church. Real joy and real gladness that come out of our souls as thankfulness. When a woman no longer finds her identity in her next boyfriend, but in knowing Christ, she finds joy. When a man is no longer dominated by his addictions, but he's driven by his overwhelming affection for Christ, there's gladness. Students, when you stop worrying about what everybody else in the halls of your high school thinks of you, and you start serving the Lord no matter what it costs you, that's where you'll find real happiness and purpose and mission in life. We miss out on gratitude because we forget the victory that we have in Christ. But some of you say, well, I know I've got the victory of Christ in my life, but I'm still struggling with ingratitude. What is wrong with me? Well, maybe it's point number two, because it isn't just that God gives you a victory. You've got to remember that it's God that gave you the victory. God is the source of our victory. And we've got to see that and cherish that and delight in that. Shout for victory. Serve in victory. Come to the Lord in victory. And then in verse 3, we get the fourth command in three verses. Know that the Lord Himself is God. God is God. Know it. Believe it. Don't forget it. The Lord who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light is the one true God. Psalm 136, another psalm about thanksgiving in verses 2 and 3, calls God the God of gods and the Lord of lords. If there could be another God, He's still over them. If there could be another Lord, He's still over them. And by the way, there aren't any others. God is God and there is no other. Understanding that the Lord is God is foundational, it's fundamental, it is the, the building blocks leading to genuine thanksgiving. Nothing that we might think of as having God-like qualities is God. Nothing that we might ascribe worth to and say, well, that's kind of like a God in my life is God. Not your determination, not your willpower, not your drive or your commitment or your intellect or your wealth or your fame or your power or your resolve or your work ethic. None of that came from you. Paul says, nothing that I have, I, do I have unless I received it from God. Look at the second line of verse 3. It is He who made us. You didn't make yourself. In our culture, don't we church, we make much of the self-made man. But in eternity... There's only going to be God-made men and God-made women. The word made here is referring not to God's creation of all of humanity, but His recreation in the work of redemption. We know that because the last line of verse 3 says, 
His people, the sheep of his pasture. The work that's being referred to is the work of bringing people into the sheepfold of God who once were not in it. Peter says this, we once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. And we know that this is possible because of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. In Jesus, people had only... Who people who formerly only had destruction awaiting them suddenly become people who are sheep in God's lush and protected pasture. It is possible because of the work of God, a God who came down to rescue us. Think about this church. In, the, in Isaiah, we read about the work of his hands. You say, well, God doesn't have hands. God is spirit. That's exactly right. But Isaiah is anticipating a day when God the Son will take on humanity and he will have hands. And he will have feet. And he will have a mind and a heart that pumps blood. And he will live the life that you should have lived and didn't. And he will die the death that you deserve to die. And he died in your place. And he will rise on the third day and ascend to the right hand of the Father. So that you can literally be the work of his hands. Redemption through his crucified hands. And when we really understand, church, the gift of being made new in Christ. We don't look back and say, look at what I did. No, we look back and we say, look at what God did in my life. Look again at verse 3. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. As that old hymn, Come Now Found, says, I was lost in utter darkness till you came and you rescued me. If you belong to Jesus today, then you know we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the Spirit of God convicted us of our sin and He performed a miracle in our hearts applying what Christ did at the cross to our lives. Is the miracle that Jeremiah prophesied back in chapter 31. I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write and I will be their God and they will be my people for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Church, we were far off from God. But God brought us near by the blood of His Son. Through the willing sacrifice of Jesus, the sinless and spotless Lamb of God in our place, we can be the sheep of His pasture. And the pasture of God, church, is where you want to be. Isaiah chapter 49 talks about this day when the whole earth is filled with the praise of God and the only people who are on the planet are the people who are following their shepherd king. And this is what he says about the pasture of God. They will not hunger or thirst. They won't, nor will the scorching heat of the sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. Our lives will overflow with thanksgiving when we delight in the victory that we have as God's people. And when we remember that it is God who makes us, his, makes us His own and puts us in His pasture by giving His Son in our place. And yet, and I want you to hear this church, we need more this morning than accurate gospel information. What are you driving at, Daniel? We need more than accurate gospel information. We need more than that in order to give God the thanksgiving that He deserves. You see, I'm concerned about the state of Christianity in America. Because there's really two extremes, neither of which is right. One is all about the head. 
Man, I just know who I am in Christ and I got my theology down pat. It is airtight. I know my system, whatever it is. And don't quiz me on it because if you do, I got, a, I got a chapter and verse to quote you. I am a smart Christian and I'm proud of it. There's a lot of churches out there that are really smart, really heady, and everybody knows the Bible. And it's good to know the Bible. And there's a, another version of churches out there that can basically throw the Bible away and say, well, if I had an emotional experience with God this morning, if I just felt something in the atmosphere, if they sang and selected the right songs, and that's all I need, and it doesn't really matter if the gospel was proclaimed or not, as long as I felt good. It might have been a different spirit than the Holy Spirit that had you feeling good, that had you deluded and not even understanding who you are in Christ. And we got these two extremes, and we've separated them. we got the Charismatics, and we've got the Presbyterian fundies, and we've got these extremes that, that are supposed to go together. It's the information of the gospel that leads you to joy. It's the preaching of the Word of God and the truth of Scripture that transforms you and leads you to joy. It's not enough to store it up in your head. It's got to overflow into your heart. We were made for more than just getting the facts of the gospel right. We were made for enjoying the presence of the one who gave us the gospel to make us his own. You don't just need gospel information. You need gospel transformation. You need to enter into the presence of God. And know that you are his and he is yours. And he made you a sheep in his pasture. Are y'all here this morning? Because I'm just starting to preach. <laughs> We've got to go into His presence. Look at verse 4. You can't do verse 4 unless you get the gospel information right. But then you've got to let it overtake you and subsume you and consume you and make you His. Verse 4 begins with another command. Enter. Enter where? Into the gates, his gates, with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. This is a reference to the temple, and in particular, I believe, the, the heavenly temple. Where God is now, where Christ is now, we must enter the presence of the one who so graciously provided his life for us. Let the facts of his victory lead you into his presence with thanksgiving and joy. But pastor, you don't know the week that I had. No, I don't. Pastor, you don't, you know, I don't feel worthy enough to enter. You don't know the things that I've done in my past. I just don't feel clean enough. I, I can't enter into the presence of God because of me. Well, of course you can't because of you, but you can because of Christ. None of us can qualify ourselves to enter the perfectly holy presence of God. And yet he commands you to enter. And the way that we enter is not by beating the door down or polishing up our righteousness resume or looking the part. God opens the door in Christ. Indeed, Christ is the door. We enter God's presence through Christ the door by understanding that we don't deserve to enter. You see, church, it's when we are consumed by the idea that we don't deserve it that we can begin to wallow in self-pity or we can look to Christ. We can say, God, I, I haven't been thankful. I, I haven't been the person you've called me to be and the person you redeemed me to be. And, and, and I need more of Christ. Or we can sit there in self-loathing and self-pity and spiral out of control. And God says, get the facts of the gospel right and then enter into his presence. We don't enter God's presence in ourselves, church. We do it in Christ. Indeed. 
Hebrews chapter 10 tells us we have confidence to enter the holy place by Christ's blood. The life that we have is in Christ the Son and in Christ we can enter His presence because Jesus has permanent residence in the presence of the Father. David wrote about this in Psalm 24. In Psalm 23, he predicts, God's, uh, he predicts Jesus' crucifixion. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. My God is with me. And in Psalm 24, we see the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Where they say in the heavens, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may go in. And if you confess your sins and find life in Christ, then you are where Christ is. And Christ is with God pleading His blood on your behalf, enter into His courts this morning. We can enter God's presence if we're in Christ because Christ is the presence of God and He is in the presence of God. Not by what we deserve, but based on what Christ did. Which means, church, let me help you get this this morning. The doors which we most... The doors which, through which we enter the presence of God are the doors that we are naturally most ashamed of. Y'all ready for that this morning? Well, I can't walk down front. They'll know I'm a sinner. Welcome to the club. I can't call the pastor and tell him I'm struggling because then he'll know I'm depressed. Welcome to the club. I can't tell Daniel for the last five years I've been... Checking all the boxes on my offering envelope, but my heart has been far from God. Welcome to the club. You see, in those moments where we run from shame and fear and instead run to Christ, those are the moments we enter into His presence. Those, those moments where we are spiritually malfunctioning and we feel like we're dead on the inside and we turn to Christ. Guess what? He's there. Enter into His presence with thanksgiving. When we come to Christ, the all-deserving one in undeserving desperation, that is when we enter and discover the gratitude-inducing presence of God. We give thanks to Him when we are there, don't we? Verse 5. Why do we give thanks to Him? Because He is good and His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness is to all generations. We bless His name. Why? Because there's salvation in no one else and there's no other name given under heaven that by which men must be saved. In other words, what other door are you going to enter through? What other presence do you long for than the presence of God? And as we enter God's presence... Church, we will declare to anyone who will listen, the Lord is good. Through faith in Christ, our substitute, our great high priest, we've encountered God's unbelievable loving kindness that is available to any person in all generations who will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And he will hold them fast until that day that he comes again. And guess what? This Lord that we shout to and we sing to and we declare His praise. Guess what will happen in that day? I love it. It's the promise of Zephaniah 3.17. The same words that we read in Psalm 100 are the words that characterize what God Himself will do in the person of His Son over the people of His pasture. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. 
He will be quiet in His love. And He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The God we delight in today takes great delight in you. Enter His presence with thanksgiving. Would you bow? As our instrumentalists come, let's pray together. Lord, we need you. God, I, I pray that as we sing this morning, that it would not be the end of the service, but that it would be the beginning. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would give liberty this morning for people who are depressed and stuck in sin and addicted and frustrated in their spiritual walk with you, that they would see God, that that is the, the beginning of walking into the presence of God. God, that they would not bow their heads in shame, that they would not turn and run out the doors of shame, but perhaps, God, today you would give them the liberty to run to the feet of Jesus and say, I can't do it, but you've done it, and I thank you, and I worship you, and I praise you. God, give liberty this morning. Give liberty this morning. Give victory this morning that leads to the shouting and the singing and the delighting of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.